The place was Antioch. The time was somewhere between A.D. 40 and 44. The occasion was a large influx of Gentiles into what up to that time was considered to be a minor splinter group within Judaism. But this little group exploded into this major first century Syrian city, and it wasn't the believers themselves who came up with this title, Christian. Let's join our study leader, Dave Wordson, in Acts chapter 11 to discover what the label Christian really meant in the first century church. The last time we were together, we spoke on a very parable thing about how in the church of Jerusalem, that when Peter got back from Caesarea, they criticized him because he reached out to those dirty Gentiles. And one of the things I talked to you about, a very powerful thing that will work in your family, it's very important in your marriages, it's very important in your businesses, and it's really, it's the vital lifeblood of a church. And that is that it's perfectly legitimate to be able to have disagreements face-to-face. What we really want to be careful of in our marriages and in our businesses and especially in our church is that we criticize in our little factious groups. In fact, we looked at Proverbs that says that the Lord hates lying and he hates murderous violence. And he goes through a whole bunch of things in Proverbs 6. He says the last thing that he hates, and it's the culminating thing, is the one that sows discord among the brethren. Peter took it. And in this case, we learned how Peter brought them back to the revelation of God. And that's where all of us want to solve our disagreements. It's why we're a Bible church. It's the idea of a Bible church is that we're going to take these books like Acts and we're going to help you to get what you need to know to really be able to understand it. But we want to live in this. I want to ask you, how many of you have had an opportunity this week? Maybe it was in your marriage. You want to say something bad about your husband or your wife to criticize her. She wasn't present or to say something about your husband. Or maybe it was at work. Because we learned last week that we need to be really careful not to criticize unless we're eyeball to eyeball. Anybody had any situations where you felt the Holy Spirit said, hey, don't do that. Don't go there. Anybody? Yeah, okay. James, the Lord's stepbrother, his half-brother said, be doers of the word. You say, well, this, this Jesus thing doesn't work. If you don't allow the Holy Spirit, and if I don't allow the Holy Spirit to help me to obey, it won't work. In your small group, spend some time before you pray saying, let's think of some situations this week where we were tempted to criticize and the person wasn't present, a boss, a husband, a pastor, an elder, whatever it might be. We were tempted to criticize and the Lord really powerfully worked to help us not to do it. Or maybe you could spend some time if you blew it, it's an easy thing. To fall into that, that you could have time to confession. That's what's going to unleash the wind of the Spirit in my life and in your life. By the way, the reason I'm stressing that is this whole business of criticizing because the gospel was being given to those dirty, rotten, unclean Gentiles isn't going away. We solved it a little bit in Acts chapter 11, but as we plunge into the passage today, Dr. Luke begins to lay a groundwork for what's going to explode into a church-wide Jerusalem council over the issue, do Gentiles need to become Jews to get into the family of Christ? Today, I want to speak to you about a really important thing. In fact, you're all thinking about it. My friend Robert Jeffress introduced Governor Perry, and he said that Governor Perry was a born-again evangelical Christian, and he said that Governor Romney wasn't a Christian. Okay, it's been exploding. In fact, it grabbed the news cycle 
for about four or five days. The problem is if you call somebody in today's American climate that's running for the president of the United States, if you say that they're not a Christian, in the popular mind, it's equivalent to saying that they're an immoral, ungodly, bad person. And I want you to think about what that means. Like in the popular mind, Christian equals good, moral, and in some circles it means they're not Jewish, they're not Hindu, they're not Muslim, they're Christian, okay? Those are two of the ways. Godly, a moral person equals Christian, not a Jew equals Christian. So this is a great time. The politicians are debating this like crazy back and forth, and it's very political. But it's a great time for me and you to ask yourself the question, what does it mean to be a Christian? What do you think it means to be a Christian? Where did this term come from? In fact, you do know that this term is only used three times in all the New Testament. And a really important question might be, what does Dr. Luke mean when he talks about this label Christian. And then let me ask you, when we're done this morning, are you a Christian based upon the way Luke defines it? Turn your Bibles to Acts chapter 11, because Acts chapter 11 is the very first time in the Bible that this label Christian is used. And what's happening to lay a groundwork for it in the persecution of Stephen, when Stephen was stoned, it was a very powerful thing in the church of Jerusalem. A lot of those that had been listening to Stephen, who was this very eloquent, powerful teacher, as the gospel powerfully began to work through him, persecution broke out in Jerusalem, and it scattered people. So one of the very first things that we learn about in Acts chapter 11 is the power, the multiplying power of scattering. Ordinarily, we don't think of persecution and scattering being a positive thing, but look what Dr. Luke said in verse 19 of chapter 11. Now, those who had been scattered by the persecution in connection with Stephen traveled as far as Phoenicia, Cyprus, and Antioch. Now, what they're doing here is they went north from Jerusalem and Sidon and the city of Tyre on the coast. It's in modern-day Lebanon. That was ancient Phoenicia. And then you went a little bit out into the ocean to the island of Crete because that wasn't too far And then you took another boat that went up to the city of Antioch, which is in modern-day Turkey today. But in the ancient world, it was the third largest city in the world. It went Rome number one, and we're going to end up in the book of Acts with the gospel planted in Rome. Alexandria down in Egypt is number two, and number three is the city of Antioch. The Spirit of God is moving the center away from Jerusalem, And interesting enough is the Jerusalem church is going to become weaker, but the church of Antioch is going to become very powerful all the way until the Muslim invasions in about the 7th century. The church of Antioch is going to be very, very strong in the whole history of our movement. So that'll give you a little background. I want you to think, first of all, about the power of dispersion. What did they do as they were dispersed? Look what it says. They told the good news, the message only to Jews. Some of them, however, men from Cyprus and Cyrene. It's interesting. Cyprus is an island. Crete is another island. Cyprus is closer. So some of the men from Cyprus. Cyrene is a city on the North African coast. And this would include all that southern part, the eastern part of the Mediterranean. There was a city called Cyrene. These would be Jewish believers from this island of Cyprus and the city of Cyrene. Some of them, however, from Cyprus and Cyrene went to Antioch. And they began to speak to the Greeks, also telling them 
the good news about the Lord Jesus. And the Lord's hand was with them, and a great number of people believed and turned to the Lord. The very first thing I want us to think about that the Lord really talked to me about is the power of dispersion. One of the things I want you to realize in the body of Christ is that the Lord doesn't want us to sit in our little groups. You're going to spread out this week, and every place that you go, you want to be following the example of these ancient first century believers from Cyprus and from Cyrene, that everywhere they go, in fact, they might have even been business people. In fact, probably a lot of them were, because these are like the trade routes. The Phoenicians are the ones that are the merchants. They're the ones that have the really good ships. In fact, the Phoenicians even founded the city of Carthage way to the west on the Mediterranean coast of North Africa. And those are the Phoenicians. So Dr. Luke is signaling these are probably business people carrying out their everyday business lives. But everywhere they go, they share the good news. So I want to ask us, as we're dispersed, as we're dispersed, we need to be sharing the good news of Jesus. It doesn't say that they shared Christianity as a culture. It doesn't say that they shared Midlothian Bible Church. It doesn't say that they shared the Baptist church or the Methodist church. See, in our culture, we think in terms of sharing about our religiosity and the places where we worship and stuff. Dr. Luke makes really clear that they began to speak to the Greeks also, telling the good news, and the good news is about the Lord Jesus. I want you to see that. The good news is about the Lord Jesus. So one of the things that the Lord wants to do in our own midst is he wants to scatter us out. And I want you to be praying that the Lord will keep doing that. How many of you think you might come in contact with some unbelieving people this week as you travel in business? Did anybody have any lunches last week with some people that didn't know Jesus? Did you say, well, Dave, does that mean that I lay on them the whole plan of salvation? No. It means that you're yourself. It means that you're living close to Jesus. It means that the good news has really penetrated your life. And in your conversation, which, by the way, how many of you talked about Governor Perry and, and Governor Romney? Anybody talked about that at all? Did you realize that that's an incredible opportunity to clarify what the gospel is? To ask somebody, hey, there's a lot of debate on whether or not Governor Romney, who's a Mormon, is a Christian. And a lot of debate over whether Governor Perry, who's an evangelical born-again person, whether he's a Christian. What do you think? Those are great questions. See, you fight about it politically. And I want you to understand it's a totally different conversation over whether or not someone needs to be a born-again Christian to be the president of the United States. That's another discussion. And I would really challenge you to be really careful about confusing political thinking with someone's eternal destiny. That's another discussion. But I'm afraid a whole bunch of you get in political discussions. But we miss the eternal life discussion. Because the issue is I don't decide what a Christian is. Do you know that? Robert Jeffress is my friend, but even Robert isn't going to get to decide what a Christian is. Governor Romney's not going to get to decide, and either is Governor Perry, and either is the media. You hear what I'm saying? This is really important. Because I want to ask you, do you want to define things? And the big issue when you ask yourself, what is a Christian? And does Christian just equal good moral man? In this passage, this is the passage that's going to lead to the very first use of the word Christian in all of history. And it starts out telling you, hey, there were men that were Cyrenians. 
There were men that were Cypriots. And we're going to end with them being called Christianoi. And we want to let Dr. Luke tell us what he means. And the first thing that he means is the group that's going to end up being called Christians are those that everywhere they go, they declare the good news. Do you really believe that you got the good news? Do you really believe that? I was raised, it was a burden. It was like a big guilt trip to share the good news. From the time I've been a little kid, I got to get this horrible responsibility off my plate because I got to tell them about Jesus and they're going to get really angry about it. I need to share the gospel and then I can say, well, they won't be on my guilt thing. I did get it off. That's a terrible way to share the good news. How many know for sure that you're forgiven of your sins based upon the cross of Jesus? Is that a good thing? How many would say, hey, it's really good to feel clean this morning and to know that no matter what my past has been, and even if I've sinned this week, when I came to Jesus and let his blood cover me, I was clean again. Is that good? Okay, that's what they told others. And it's an objective truth. Jesus is the only being in all the universe that can do that. How many would say it's really good news that Jesus rose again from the dead? And because he rose again from the dead, I'm going to rise again from the dead. You're going to rise again. Is that good news? Okay, that's the gospel. That's what these guys were declaring. They weren't saying, come to Midlothian Bible Church. They weren't saying, come to First Baptist. But they weren't saying, even to build a great big First Baptist downtown. That had nothing to do, at this point in history, there were no buildings. The text says, the good news was Jesus. It was the Lord Jesus. In this passage, you notice it's very interesting. It says, they're telling them the good news about the Lord Jesus. And the Lord's hand was with him, and a great number of people believed and turned to the Lord. It's a very powerful people movement began to take place. That's what it means for the Lord's hand to be upon a group of people. The Lord's hand has been upon many of you. We've done a lot of dispersing. And I've shared with you a lot, like, I can't go to hardly any church in Ellis County without having somebody, because I've lived here a long time. I could go to almost every church in Ellis County, and there's somebody that I used to pastor there. And some of them gotten ticked at me. Others have been moved for really good reasons, that the Lord opened up new doors for them, okay? We disperse to walk that you I've shared with you all those stories. That's not a bad thing. Dispersing is a good thing. The Lord doesn't want us just to sit. So if you're a really good teacher, a really good, powerful communicator of God's word, the Lord doesn't want you to sit. He wants you to teach. Very important to do that. Or if you've got the gift of mercy, whatever your gift is, he wants you to use it, okay? So dispersion isn't a bad thing. Now, it is a bad thing if you get angry and you don't work through your anger, like I talked about last week about criticism, and you go somewhere else. Please don't go to any church if you're angry because you'll bring poison there too. You don't leave your family of believers. Like, I don't say, I'm sorry. Like, I don't say, sorry, kids. You've really hurt me and I'm angry. So I've adopted another family. I'm going to someone else's house down the street. And that's what the American church is doing. That'll kill you. Husbands, fathers, don't let your family do that. Just because your wife gets angry, or your kids get angry, don't just flip. Because you've got to exercise real leadership. I've seen kids 
don't believe in Jesus anymore because their dad and mom went from one church to the next and they grilled the preacher every single church they went. That's not the body of Christ. So this is really serious. So dispersion is a negative thing if we disperse because we're angry. It's a positive thing if we disperse because we need to declare the gospel. But I also want you to know that we need to pray. We need to pray for the hand of God to be upon us. I just tell you, you want a vision? I want us to have people that don't know Jesus at all. I want you to start to pray about your friends that say they're atheists, that say they've been totally turned off by any church they were in, that they just don't believe in this. And I want us to reach them in our society for Jesus. I don't want to just transfer one part of God's family to another part of God's family. Does that make sense? And that's really serious because that's happening all over our area. You're a hot church, so you build a really big building. Then the people find out there's another hot place, so that church is empty. It's like grocery stores. That's not the body of Christ. If you're a young person, I want you to be praying, Lord, we need the hand of the Spirit to be upon us so that he adds unbelievers What the early church, what these Cypriot Jews did, they began to say, this news is just too good to lock up in our little group. We got to share it with the Gentiles. An incredible thing happened. The Jerusalem church heard that there was a powerful people movement that was taking place up there in Antioch. It says the news reached the ears of the church of Jerusalem, and they sent Barnabas to Antioch. And when he arrived, he said, I can't believe you guys. You let Gentiles into the family of God and they are uncircumcised and you let non-Jewish people eat the Lord's Supper. You're not keeping the Passover. You mean to tell me you're meeting on Sunday night instead of Friday? What's the matter with you? What is this movement coming to? That's what we're doing. It's not what Barnabas did. Barnabas was as Jewish as you could get. And we blow right over his words. Barnabas goes up. He's sent from the mother church, the essence of Judaism. And right now in the first century, Christianity is viewed as just a little movement within Judaism. But the Holy Spirit of God is opening wide hearts. Red and yellow, black and white, all different social backgrounds, all different kinds of people. This is going to become a movement that's going to reach to the uttermost parts of the earth. It's going to become a movement that's the most powerful movement for resurrection power that the world has ever known. You want a vision? That's the vision. And Barnabas could have crushed that vision. He could have destroyed it. But instead, he had grace. You say, Dave, what are you talking about? Look what it says. When Barnabas, who was this Jewish guy, it says, when he arrived, he saw evidence of the grace of God. You know what the grace of God is? You can blow it. But if you'll ask God to forgive you and you'll let resurrection power keep working, you're okay. That it's not because of our gymnastics and religious discipline. It is this incredible wonder of receiving the gift of forgiveness through the cross the incredible wonder of receiving the gift of a new life through the resurrection, that's what Barnabas saw. He saw the grace. The grace of God is that as I look upon you, there's none of you in this room that can't become a child of God. 
I don't care what your past is. I don't care what you've done. There's none of you that have done anything, even after you've come to know Christ, that the blood of Jesus isn't powerful enough to bring you back home. Amazing grace. Religion doesn't have that. But Jesus brings it to us. It's the incredible gift. That's the good news. Barnabas was a man of grace. When I die, I want somebody to stand up and say, one thing that we learn from Dave is he was a man of grace. He told us it was a gift. He didn't reject us because we blew it. He challenged us that we could be forgiven, that we could have new life. You've got to get that. Because we're not a religious movement. We are a grace movement. And Barnabas is the apostle of grace. And he's a Jewish guy that could have come and destroyed the church of Manak, but he didn't. It says that he saw that the grace of God was upon this group. He was glad and he encouraged them to remain true to the Lord. And that's where this incredible commitment I want you to know that grace produces the most intense godliness, the most intense passion for purity. Grace moves us to commit ourselves to be true to the Lord Jesus with all of our hearts. And Barnabas was a good man. He was full of the Holy Spirit. He was full of faith, which led to faithfulness. And a great number of people were brought. Now, look what Barnabas does. Barnabas went to Tarsus. He looks for Saul that had to flee from Caesarea back in our story. When he found him, he brought him to Antioch. So for a whole year, Barnabas and Saul met with the church and taught great numbers of people. The disciples were called Christians first at Antioch. You know where the title Christian came from? It was in Antioch. Unbelieving, unbelieving Antiochians started to see people in their city that believed that Jesus was the Christos. He was the anointed one. Do you believe Jesus is the Messiah? They also believed that Jesus was the Lord. And one of the things that meant is we're not going to bow to Caesar because Jesus is our Lord. We'll be good citizens, but we don't get on our knees to any Roman emperor. And we'll even go to the lion's for it. That was another thing it meant. Jesus is Lord. And that's what they meant by kurios. He's the ruler. They believed that one day, red and yellow, black and white, every human being on earth, they believed one day everybody ends up at the foot of Jesus. And they told people the incredible good news. You don't need to be afraid of that because that ultimate judge of the universe died for you. And if you just depend upon him, whether you're Jewish or Hindu or whatever you are, Buddhist, whatever you are, Jesus is the only Savior that died. Just trust him to forgive you. And then they believed with all their heart that that Jesus Christ, like you've been learning from day one of Acts chapter one, it says for 40 days he showed them convincing proof that he was alive. So what it means to be a Christian, I believe with all my heart that in the first century, there was a man that lived that rose again from the dead. And what this text is saying is those who believed in Jesus. So what I want to challenge you to do is you begin in the book of Acts. Like I don't decide what a Christian is, but this is the very first time that the word Christian is used. And I do know what Dr. Luke means by it. Dr. Luke means someone that believes that Jesus was baptized by John the Baptist, had the Holy Spirit come upon him, did all the miracles, then he died on the cross to forgive us for his sins, then he rose again. How do I know that? Because that's the essence of the book of Luke. So if you're not sure what a Christian is, you need to read this week. You read the book of Luke. And then you ask yourself, let me wait your appetite a little bit. In the book of Acts so far... 
We have had disciples, not perfect. In fact, they've had arguments and everything else, but they're followers of Jesus. They've listened to the teaching of Jesus. We've had the original 12 disciples. We've had the Jewish religious leaders that try to kill them. We've had political leaders like Pilate that try to placate these religious leaders. All of those games are going on in our society right now today. So that will encourage you that you can read about in the book of Acts. But what I want you to ask yourself is which group are you in as we close today? Which group are you in? What it means to follow Jesus is that you invite Jesus as a person, not as a religious faith, not as a little list of rules you're going to do. You let the person of Jesus be the one that you're trusting. What I want you to do is I want you to leave this room and I want you to use, when you hear someone saying all this stuff, can't believe Robert Jefferson said that. You say, hey, what do, what do you mean by that? What do you think it means to be a Christian? And then listen. And then you say, hey, do you mind if I tell you the very first time that the label Christian was used? And then you say, hey, in Acts chapter 11, you take out your little New Testament, say this is a first century document. In Acts chapter 11, there was a group of people. They were all Jews at first. But they realized that Jesus' heart was for everyone. And so they began to tell other people the good news. You know what the good news is? And then just ask them, what do you think the good news is? And you'll be amazed at how many people, even people who have been in church a long time, don't really know what the good news is. Like the good news isn't that you're such a great moral person. Barnabas was a good moral person, but that's not why he was saved. It's not because you're a Christian culturally. The enemies... In Antioch, the outsiders looked at those that trusted Jesus and said, hey, they're identified with Jesus. They're, they believe Jesus is the Messiah. They're Christianoi. Just like there's Augustinioi, those are those that follow Augustus Caesar. There are Herodians, those are those that follow Herod. And what we're learning for the first time, here are those that follow Jesus. Are we going to do it? We're going to do it. They called them Christians first at Antioch. I pray that you're going to go out this week and really clarify this incredible, wondrous news of what a Christian really is. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we need the filling of your spirit in our midst. We need your hand upon us. Lord, everything that I've taught from the book of Acts today will be empty and lifeless unless you fill it with your power and with your resurrection gift. I want to ask you, Lord, that someone here that isn't sure that they're a Christian won't let the political discussion determine what they think a Christian is. Help them to actually read this first century document, beginning with Acts 1, and let your Holy Spirit just open their eyes. Lord, if you're there, talk to me and help them to really learn from this book what the good news really was. And Lord, you just, I want to pray that some of us, as we close the service today, that I've known this good news from the time I was small. And like anything else, you're always exposed to it. You can take it for granted. And I just thank you, Lord Jesus, that even speaking about it this morning awakens a wondrous joy of how incredibly good the good news about Jesus really is. And my prayer for our church family is that you would add to our numbers 
Lord, we've been doing a lot of dispersing. It's time for us to start adding a lot of those that didn't know Jesus last week, but they've come to know Jesus or didn't know Jesus six months ago, but now they know Jesus. Lord, we need your Holy Spirit to have your hand upon my brothers and sisters here. And you need to help us to declare this good news, to share it with others, to come up with creative ways in our culture to be able to do that. And I want to pray, Lord, that just like there was a mighty people movement in Antioch, I want to ask you, Lord Jesus, that there would be a mighty people movement in our whole area that reaches to the uttermost parts of the earth. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.